Uh, my name is David Scott. I am still currently in name the student ministry pastor here. Jeremy's doing uh, pretty significant work with that. Uh, but I'm also uh, the pastor for Highlands Church, which is the first <coughs> church that uh, Stonebridge will plant uh, in the Transformation Network, and I'm excited to do that. Uh, if attention deficit disorder was a spiritual gift, I would be anointed above all my companions. Um, so, and when I get up and I get a chance to talk about Highlands, but I also uh, just want to share with you, because the majority of you did not come to church today hoping someone would pitch a church to you. Um, and when it's uh, people like y'all who are home and who I love, it's hard for me. All those things kind of get tangled up, and so it's easier for me if I sort of spread the things out. And so the, the first thing I want to do um, this morning is just say thank you uh, to y'all. Uh, seven years ago, uh, my wife and I came to Stonebridge, and um, I sat in that back corner uh, the first week and worshiped, and I felt like I was home for maybe the first time ever in, in, in my life as a believer um, and it hasn't felt any different up to this morning in worship. Um, so I can't thank you guys enough for that. It's one thing uh, to have a job as a pastor. It's a totally different thing to have a home. Um, and our family has really had a home and found a home here. And, and even Highlands being planted is a big part of that. So um, thank you all. Uh, this may be one of the last chances I get to stand in front of you and say that. Uh, the second thing I wanted to share with you guys, and I couldn't figure out how to, how, how to fit it into the rest of this, was just this week as I was praying, I really felt like, um, I had a word uh, for you as a people. Uh, Stonebridge is getting ready to, to move uh, sometime in the next year. Uh, they just did this pledge campaign, if you weren't aware. If you weren't aware, you've been out of town. Um, but, uh, uh, and they're going to be moving into another space. And the thing I felt like the Lord wanted uh, to, to let you know as a church is that um, when, when Jesus died on the cross, it changed everything about space and the kingdom of God uh, and, and geographic space. Um, it, it, does, it does have meaning in terms of who we are, in terms of what we're doing, um, but, but it doesn't, God uh, wants to meet with people anywhere and everywhere, and it's really about the how and the who more than it is about the where. And so I just want to encourage you guys um, as, as you transition um, into new space, don't, don't, don't get fooled. Um, don't get fooled about uh, that, that the space has to own you. Own the space and, and use it for ministry, but, but don't think that that somehow limits you. It doesn't. Um, God works through and in the people of Stonebridge Church, and he's not, he, not going to change that uh, because the geography might change by a couple of miles. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Uh, the third thing that I was asked to do that I'm not great at doing, honestly, is to talk to you about Highlands Church. Um, it's, it's not that I don't love to talk about Highlands, um, but, but honestly, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not a salesperson. Um, and a lot of times when I feel like I'm talking about Highlands, I feel like I have to put on the like, here's why Highlands is awesome hat. And my hope is that if we talk about how Jesus is awesome and how God's hope for the church is awesome, then Highlands will fit somewhere within that. And so to talk about Highlands independently um, sometimes feels a little rough for me, but I'm going to do, do the best I can. I've got some slides that are going to come up to talk to you guys. Um, so what is Highlands? Highlands, just practically speaking, like I said, is a church plant of Stonebridge. Um, we are going to be in Marietta, um, just as Stonebridge's geography has been shifting since we started talking about planting Highlands. Um, Highlands has been seeking uh, to respond faithfully to the Lord in the midst of that. And so geographically, um, we're not totally sure where we are. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but our heart is to pursue community transformation through equipping followers of Jesus 
to build missional communities. Um, and so that's a lot of words. Uh, some people say the same missional communities now say micro churches, but essentially what that means is that what we really want to do as Highlands Church is, is to grow the church primarily by sending people out into the community rather, rather than by asking people to come in. We do want people to come in. Um, we are a church, and we do want that to be a part of it, but we want our primary role to be to equip the people that are coming in who are believers uh, to go out and, and to build uh, the, the mission of God uh, outside of that space. And then beyond that, as a church, we really want to understand our role in the community and use it to pursue good for the community. Uh, one of the things that I've really felt convicted about is um, as, as we've gotten into the planning and planting of Highlands is when Jesus talks about wine and wineskins. Um, and, and that I do think that God is calling um, Highlands to, to do something maybe that's a little new and a little different in the community, but, but, but you could be very easily fall into the habits of just sort of trying to do that with, with an old uh, model. And, and so we don't only want to ask people to go out and do that. We really want to learn what it means for Highlands to live well into the community. Um, and I'll give you guys some examples of how we're trying to do that right now um, in a minute. But, but essentially how we say that kind of the shorthand for us is we want to be a church of the community, meaning we really do want to gather believers together who have a heart for the mission uh, that we feel like God is calling us to. And so if that's you, we would love for you to come um, and, and check us out. Um, but we want to be a church to the community as well, meaning we don't want our, our pastoring or our care for the community be, to be limited by who walks through the doors. And, and so we're stepping out into the community in different ways and seeking uh, to reach out uh, to businesses, to individuals, to, to, to different groups in the community and asking, what does it mean to pastor you? What does it mean to be good and faithful uh, shepherds of our community, even for people who don't ever walk in our doors. And then lastly, we want to be a church building community. And that's that piece where we want to equip believers to go out and begin uh, to build church outside of church. Um, and, and the real reason for that is, is because of where we think God has called us to reach. And, and, and that's not really a geographical position for me, but it's actually uh, the position that exists between people who love church and people who don't church is what I've been saying. I, that used to say people who hate church, but, but all of my people said that that was too hard, that I can't say those people hate church. So maybe they don't, maybe they just don't church. And I think to a degree, um, they, they probably don't understand church, at least not in, in the biblical definition. And some of that maybe is the fault of the people who are in that second circle. And some of it's probably the fault of those of us who are in that first circle where I firmly belong. But for whatever reason, there's a growing number of people excuse me, in the United States um, who, who don't choose church as it currently exists in its current model. 80% of Americans who identify as spiritual or religious attend church services rarely or never. And when you look at people who identify themselves as Christians, that number falls, but it, but it only falls to 60%. So 60% of Americans who identify as Christians attend church services rarely or never. And there's a variety of reasons for that. There are people who tell stories like the stories I hear all the time uh, from people when they find out that I've been in student ministry, which is they were in student ministry. And then for some reason, they didn't sort of abide 
by sort of the, the cultural rules of church, right? Maybe they got pregnant out of wedlock. Maybe they uh, started doing things that the church said you shouldn't do. And, and so at that point, the church began to separate from them, either in actuality or at least in their minds. And because of that, that will, that will be their vision of a gathering like this for a long time. And it'll be a long time until, they're come back, until they come back in. Some of them honestly feel like um, uh, a, a woman that I spoke to recently who, who really at one point loved and cherished the church, but, but she got it caught in her head that to be in church is, is to always look positive, to always feel positive, to always sort of be somebody who looks like they have it all together. And she actually lost a parent pretty tragically recently, isn't, isn't able to get past it. And when we were talking the other day, she said, I would love to come. Even to Highlands Church, she said, I would love to come, but I just can't right now. There's so much on top of me when I walk into those spaces. And so there's a variety of reasons um, that people um, are separating from the church. And Highlands feels a real calling um, to, to live in a space where we're, we're connecting those two groups of people. And not necessarily by trying to get people in the, in the second circle to move towards the first circle, but by trying to get people in the first circle to move towards the second circle, if that makes sense. I think we have a lot of churches, and it's good. It's good work. It's great work, and it's kingdom work to try to get people to move from the second circle to the first circle. But we think like that. We, we feel like that's being done really well in our community, and so we just want to be on mission with God to move people from the first circle more into the second circle. And so we use four, four values excuse me, <coughs> to drive that. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm going to be drinking water. I'm, I'm overcoming some sort of throat issue, which, by the way, reminds me, we should probably wash this before David gets back. Uh, but um, the values that drive that for us, the first one is something that we call relational discipleship. Uh, that's really taken from John 5, 19. Jesus said, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. And so relational discipleship um, is, is the way that we, <coughs> excuse me, pursue sort of understanding what it is that God is doing, and also is being able to speak that into the lives of the people around us. We want to listen to God well, and we want to listen to each other well, and then when we feel like we're doing that well, we want to speak out um, life-giving words in, into, into people's lives. Uh, and we feel like that can happen inside these spaces and outside of these spaces. The second value for us is family of God, and this is actually something that really developed in my heart um, uh, in, a, in a clear way while I've been at Stonebridge. Uh, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. I found this out with student ministry. We would get our students together and we would put them into small groups. <clears throat> and the goal was that they would all like each other just because they happen to be the same gender and the same age. And that hardly ever worked. If we split you up right now like that, there, there's no way that you would, you'd probably not find your best friends that way. Right? And, and it was difficult. We were asking kids to be together and we were asking kids to be friends. But here's the truth. Friendship is discovered. Right? You can't, you, you can't force it. If you've ever seen somebody try to force a friendship, it's super uncomfortable. 
right? And it, and it most often doesn't work. Friendship is discovered, and there's a little bit of uh, serendipity that goes along to, to finding friendship. And so if, if we think that the command of God is that Christians should all be friends, we're going to be disappointed time and time and time again because friendship is based on having things in common, and the family of God is based on something much bigger than that. The family of God is based on having one father in common. And we're going to read a passage today where it says the people had everything in common, but really the people who they're saying had everything in common really didn't have much in common at all. They were from all kinds of different places. They came from all kinds of different <coughs> excuse me, backgrounds, but what they had in common was they had, they, they had the same father and their lives had been changed by Jesus. And that's a lot more like family than it is like friendship. For sure, we want people within our community um, to have friendships with each other, and we think that's good, but we don't know that it's necessarily, we don't even know that we're able as a church to call people into friendship, and we think sometimes when churches call people into friendships that that's where some problems develop, because if you quit acting like your friends, you kind of are out of your friend group, but if you quit acting like your family, you can't get out even if you want to, amen, right? <laughs> yeah, and so that's what we want to be, because family, a brother, is born for adversity, Family is decided. Family says when you're in trouble, I'm going to make sure that you don't fall below the line, that you don't fall beyond return. When you see people who fall beyond return, it's mostly because they've been alienated from their families. And so at Highlands, what we do want to do is we want to bring people into the calling of family. Um, the third, again, I apologize. The third um, value for us um, is in shorthand, I call it city on a hill, but really it's taken from Matthew 5 where Jesus talks about the church being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and the city on a hill. And essentially, <coughs> what we mean by that is that we believe that the church should shine in the community as a better way forward. <coughs> part of that means that we choose a different way than the community, but part of that means that we put that out there into the community in a different way. And that's our hope for Highlands, is that we will regularly be in the community, not to point people back to us, but like Jesus said, that they would see our, our, the good works of our Heavenly Father and praise Him. And then lastly in the list, but really it's last in the list because they think it underlies everything else, is that um, we value the fact that transformation happens by the Spirit. Right? We can go out there and we can do all these good things and we can feel all these good things and we can say all the right things, but only God can transform the heart. Right? God always gets on the scene first, and that's where any of the rest of this comes from. That's where the identification as family comes from, because God said we're sons and daughters, we're brothers and sisters. It's where relational discipleship comes from. It comes from listening to God and saying, God, where are you at work in my life, in your life, in the community? Right? And, and that's, we, we can only shine the light that is being shined on us. One thing I tell students all the time is that our job isn't to be the sun, but we're more like the moon, and the moon just gets itself in the right space to reflect the light of the sun in the darkness, and that's what we want to be. We want to be transformed by the Spirit. So practically speaking, here's what Highlands is doing right now. We are meeting on Wednesday nights at Stonebridge until August 1st. The way that I've described this to people that are coming is that we're dating and we've gotten past the first or second date. We're in this sort of long-term dating space. But in August, um, we will propose. Highlands will propose to the people um, that we've been dating. And we'll say, we want this to be a commitment. And we'll look for our core group of people. <clears throat> the way that that often feels for me is like being pregnant, right? Like you know that something is happening and that something's coming. Sometimes you feel excited. Sometimes you feel tired. Sometimes you feel sick. And you're hopeful that everything's going well. So that's kind of where we are. 
right now um, with Highland. So we meet on Wednesday nights from uh, 6.30 to 8-ish p.m. We've adopted, you'll, you'll be happy to know that we've already inherited Stonebridge's uh, great ability of people arriving on time. Um, we get there. <laughs> Our people, though, you know, like you want like a bigger portion for the people that come after you. Our people get there about 30 minutes late as opposed to 15 minutes late here. So we're moving on you. Uh, we get together. We have dinner we usually worship, um, we uh, usually have a teaching, and then we spend time around tables discussing the teaching and praying for each other. Um, the other thing that we're doing is we're trying to build both of those circles. Um, we're, we're trying on Wednesday nights to build this church uh, for people who love church, and then uh, beyond that, um, we're already engaging in some things, um, at sort of seeking and almost uh, uh, kind of uh, strategizing about what it means uh, to be the church in our community. So every fourth service, every fourth week that we meet, we do something that I call our services service, which means we do something for the community. Um, this In May, uh, we rolled cutlery for <coughs> a local mission um, that one of our people's involved in that uh, gives food away. And what she found was that there's this weird, awkward exchange uh, when you're giving food away to people um, that are transient in the community, and it's that they don't want the people to grab their own silverware, but people feel weird when you're handing them a fork and not a knife. It, there's just an awkward exchange there, and so this person had realized that one easy way to help somebody have dignity in that moment was to roll the cutlery ahead of time. So we rolled about 2,100, not 20, what? About 2,100 rolls um, on a Wednesday night together, we prayed over it and asked God to move through it. We laughed together. Um, we had fun uh, together, and that was church for us. <clears throat> this month, we're going to be doing something with the Must Ministries lunch program, and I believe that's on June 26th, if you'd like to come be a part of that. Um, we're also um, doing things on other nights. We took on the kickball mantle, Jeremy. I didn't know that I'm not athletic at all, and I did not know that kickball required you to be athletic, but I've seen some people strike out. It's pretty incredible. Um, but we're playing kickball on Monday nights over at Lewis Park, and we're cooking dinner um, and hanging out with people there. On Tuesday nights, we were playing trivia at Two Birds, and I want you to know that, um, that I take pride in playing trivia, and we won the first week, and we placed uh, the second week. And um, so that's been um, a lot of fun. I'll share a story about that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> and then on Thursday nights, we're playing basketball over at Custer Park. I am not. We are playing basketball over at Custer Park um, on Thursday nights. Uh, and it's an open gym format where we're inviting people uh, to come be a part of that. And all of that is just an attempt to, to move in to that other circle for us. And we always have people praying over those things. It's a real neat part of what we're doing. Again, um, I'll share a couple of stories about that in a minute. Uh, so how can you support us? Uh, that's, that's the big thing, I think, uh, that people want to know in this time. First is uh, we absolutely need your prayers. Uh, such a pivotal time for us um, as a ministry. Um, please pray for our people. Uh, we probably have about 35 to 40 adults uh, that are currently coming. And probably, and this has surprised me, probably half of those adults either haven't been to church in years or have never gone to a church and were their first experience of it. Um, and, and that's different. It's not what I thought that this group would be. Um, but it's really great. But, but we absolutely need your prayers because in so many ways, uh, as a church and as a people, we're like, we're like a baby deer learning to walk uh, right now. And um, so, so we would appreciate your prayers. Um, <clears throat> we'd appreciate your prayers concerning our finances. Um, it's, 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 it's a really interesting thing. 
uh, to plant a church in terms of finances and how that works and what the models are and even um, how you faithfully move forward in that. And it's for sure not my strength. I didn't plant it because I'm an accountant. I planted it because I'm a pastor. And uh, so we have some great people that are working around that. Um, but, but everything that we do, um, there's, there's different costs for those things. You know, when we go out into the community, we're, we're not asking people for anything back because we think that's part of our calling is to go out and provide those things for people. Um, but that means we also know that we're putting money out um, that we would never expect to, to be reproduced in terms of coming back into us. Um, and uh, beyond that, again, with, with a lot of our people being new to this, even the idea of giving regularly is a, is a different thing um, for us. And so you could pray for that. You can pray for our geography. Like I said, Stonebridge is moving, and that creates some interesting options uh, for us. Um, one of the things, though, um, that is absolutely true is Stonebridge has been so good to this space um, that Stonebridge, when it planted, couldn't even afford this space anymore. Um, so good for y'all, uh, but, but that's, a, that's a new challenge for us. We would love um, if God's plan for us was to carry on the mission of Stonebridge on the square. We would love that. Um, but, but we know that part of um, our calling clearly um, is to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us um, in terms of where we are geographically. Uh, but you could pray for us because our geography is going to matter. If we're going to be a city on a hill, we don't want to be hidden off in a corner somewhere. We don't want to be a lamp put underneath a covering. Um, so you could pray for our geography. Um, and you could pray that whatever these decisions are, whether it comes to people, finances, or geography, that we make these decisions out of the values that God has called us to. Uh, you could also come if any of this resonates with you. In terms of mission, I would love it for you to come and check us out. You can come to any of those things. You can come to any of those things that we're doing. Uh, during the week. Um, or you could send someone, if you know someone we connect with. You could send them uh, to me, um, or you could send them uh, to one of the things we're doing. If you want more information on either of that, you can just email me at highlandsmarietta at gmail.com, and all you got to do is put, you don't even have to write anything, I'll just put it in the subject line, more info. If you want to do it right now, you can get on your phone, because I work with teenagers, and they're on their phones the whole time I talk, and so it won't bother me. Um, and then the last thing is this. Um, I really do believe that in our first full year, um, we will have to operate, if we're going to operate faithfully, we'll have to operate a little bit as a hybrid of a church and a mission. Um, and you could take on the mission. Um, you, you could take us on as missionaries to Marietta and missionaries maybe to the spaces in Marietta where missionaries don't already exist. And so um, just because of the things we're going after and the, and the people uh, that we're drawing in, I do believe at least initially um, while not in the long term, at least initially, um, we will we'll have to operate from a financial standpoint, um, especially as, as a mission slash church. Um, and so you could pray about taking um, that on and supporting us regularly uh, in our first year. And again, if you need more information about that, you can email me or you can talk to me after the service. And so what ends up happening is that some people you ask me, um, why don't you just be a mission? Right? That's a big question for us. So if, so if Highlands feels called to these people who don't church, why aren't you just a mission? And I just want to share a story um, with you guys uh, related to the, I could share tons of these, but this is related to uh, trivia we've been playing over at Two Birds. Two quick things that have happened just in two weeks. Uh, the first is that we had a, we had a couple of people come uh, the first week who um, are connected to our people, but aren't connected to church anywhere. They don't go to Highlands, um, and they probably won't at least for a long time. 
Um, and they don't go anywhere, but, but they came to trivia. Um, and they played, and they enjoyed it, and we called our trivia team Highlands. And when we won, one of them went to go pick up uh, the prize and said, um, and they asked, what does Highlands mean? And she said, that's our church. That's what she said. She said, that's our church. And she said, your ch- and they said, your church plays trivia? And she said, you're darn right. Our church plays, I think she said, darn, you're, right, you're darn right. Our church plays trivia. And all of a sudden, it kind of created this space. And afterwards, I got to speak to that person again about things that she had seen in the church that had really hurt her over the years after we got done that night. And, and, I, and, and so that's story one. And story two is this. Um, our waitress our first week was a young woman named Alex, who I just, I got there early. And so we sat and we talked. Uh, for a little bit. We talked about what she does, and she asked what I do, and we shared together. The next week, she came up and found me. She wasn't our waitress, but she came up and found me, and she said, I was telling this guy, he's got to come to your church, and I told him how to find you guys, and the biggest thing is, she said, we used to play kickball like two birds. We used to go out and play kickball, and we don't do that anymore, and this guy loved to play kickball, and I told him, this, you got to go to this church because you can go there and you can play kickball. And, and what I've realized is like those are super meaningful moments to me because there is something that matters at least to me and it, and it burns in my heart about redeeming the word church for people. And then it's not enough that people know that the church would reach out to them, but they need to know of the, they need to be redeemed in what the church is. Does that make sense? Right? And, and it's crucial that these things stay connected at least for that reason. So we're going to look at a passage in Acts 2 that talks about essentially what it means to be church because sometimes it can get lost for us. And I'm going to have to do this pretty quickly. So I may end up skipping over some of these slides, um, but... We have super capable people, and they'll keep up. Um, So this is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. And this is the first sort of iteration we have of the church. And in this, a lot of theologians say, you see what are the four essential marks of a church, right? You see people gather together in the apostles' teachings. You see people gather around what they call the common life. We'll talk about that um, in a minute. You see people engaging in the breaking of bread, which, they, which, which a lot of people think includes communion, a little bit of what we were doing there, but it's even more than that. It's this idea of, of eating together and sharing meals as a spiritual act. Um, and then you see people praying for each other. And so most theologians say this is, this is, these, these are at least the marks of what it means to be the church. So we're going to read through this passage real quick, and then we're going to focus on one of those things just for a couple of minutes. <coughs> Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, says, When the people heard this, This was the first message that was preached by Peter. We're picking up kind of in the middle of the story. Uh, The the apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and and Peter has told everybody uh, about what Jesus came and did and the resurrection, and that this is the proof of the resurrection. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So they said, okay, if that's true, if that's what Jesus did, if Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, and it was all for us, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're going to skip over um, that next slide. Uh, Kim and just go to the, or Grady and just go to the one um, about the common life. But I do want to say one thing really quick um, about this passage is that uh, uh, there's this one pastor, Tim Keller. He says, in this passage, you see all of the things the church is and called to be, right? Like you see, you see a commitment uh, to theology, the apostles' teaching. He said, that sounds very Presbyterian, right? You see worship and signs and wonders and uh, prayer. He says, that sounds pretty Pentecostal. You see evangelism, people added to their number. That sounds Baptist, right? And you see people gathering together and, and serving each other and caring for each other. And he says, that sounds Methodist, right? And so he says, you have all these things all together. And the, the one big thing I would want to say to us, church, is that, is that just like uh, we can't overestimate the person of Jesus, just like we can't think we've gotten to the end of who Jesus is, if the church is the body of Christ, um, we're always going to be underestimating how far and how wide and how deep God longs to go through the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage you guys with that. But really, um, what I want to do is just talk about the importance for a minute of, of this idea of the common life. The idea of these people eating together, living life together, sharing what they have, and acting like family with each other. See, it, it, the common life was a crucial witness for the early church. When you hear uh, in the first few centuries outsiders talking about Christianity. They emphasize the common life. There was an early philosopher, Lucian of Samosata, um, who was actually hostile towards Christianity. And when he talked about Christians, this is one of the things he said. He said, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they're immortal for all time, which explains their contempt of death and their voluntary self-devotion, which is so common among them. He said, they start with this idea that they're immortal, that this life isn't all there is. And he said that actually explains why they're not afraid to die. And it also explains why um, they sacrifice so much. They, they give so much of themselves. It was impressed in them by their original lawgiver. He's talking about Jesus, that they are all brothers from the moment they are converted. And they deny the gods of Greece and worship this crucified sage, and they live after his laws. All this they take quite on trust with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. One of the defining factors of the early church was that they believed so much in what Jesus said that they just gave everything to everybody who had need. It was such a powerful act. It was something, it's hard for us to recognize that because, because the things they were doing are things that have become common parlance in our language. Love your enemy. Everybody is equal, male, female, slave or free, right? These were things that were absolutely uncommon. Give to everyone in need, not because you're forced to, 
but because you're spiritually connected and these are your brothers and sisters and live together in joy and in unity. It was a powerful message for people to see and as a result, thousands were coming to know Jesus. Their number was added to daily. I think it's important for us to realize the common life and to rediscover it as the people of God in our own community. And there's, there's a big reason for it. I don't know if you guys know this, but for the third straight year in 2018, life expectancy in the United States dropped. And that drop represents the longest sustained decline in expected lifespan in over 100 years. The last time there was a three-year drop in life expectancy was 1915 to 1918. And what's crazy is at the same time, medical advances are are bringing down the numbers uh, of the most common causes of death. But suicide, opioid addiction and overdoses, and liver disease are all moving up. The age group that's increasing in death total is actually age 25 to 45 years old. And most people that are analyzing these studies are saying that this is a result of an epidemic of loneliness. That real community has collapsed. That due to to transience and isolation and the fact that we don't know our neighbors and all these things, you know, that that we think back on that have changed. That that especially, not, not, I won't even say that, that in all communities that there's a collapse in connection and a collapse in relationship. We live in an age where individualism, isolation, and loneliness are on the rise, even while technology and so-called connectivity are, on the, are, are rising as well. Peter looked at the people around him, and he warned, themselves, he warned them to save themselves from a corrupt generation. And I would say our, our generation is being corrupted by isolation and loneliness. It's probably being corrupted by other things as well, but I think this is a fight that we're often missing, church. And if we're going to sing about a God who has a love that always finds us, we have to fight for people that feel alone. We have to lean in for people that feel alone. See, human flourishing, the kind of life, abundant life that Jesus talked about, only happens when people are given communion and love. And the world can fake that to a degree, right? The world is kind of trying to find ways right now to unite. It'll unite around politics. It'll reunite around a specific social issue. But the unity never lasts, right? Do you see how quickly it splinters? Because it can never duplicate the effects of the spirit-filled community that's united with God as a father and with Jesus as a brother because to connect to a spirit-filled community is connect to God. And Jesus said to connect to God is to connect to abundant life. There's a word that you use in Acts uh, that you've probably heard before. It's a Greek word. It's, It's koinonia. And what it means is this living together in deep connection where you don't see a chair or a table or a loaf of bread as as mine rather than yours but as belonging to us as a family 
when you connect with each other in joy and generosity and not just because you have a common interest. And when people ignore the common life, I would say this, when the church ignores the common life of family of God, individuals may look good, but they become isolated and they find it difficult to sustain a living faith. Being in common life together means no pretense, no performance, and it creates this gladness and joy. Do you know the friends that you have that you don't have to pretend to be different around? The ones that could show up to your house anytime. The ones that you could show up in front of anytime. What if that's what people knew the family of God as? Right? What if that's what they thought of us? Right? Jesus was so connected to this idea. He was so committed to spending this kind of time with people that he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus was so committed to being with people, to eating and drinking and living with them, that he was accused of things that broke the religious stereotype. And that's the kind of uncommon, common life that God calls us to. And I just want to say three statements and then, and then talk about a way to apply it really quick. Three statements of Jesus that he calls us to live by, to live in the common life. The first is this. He said, as I have loved you, love one another. To live the common life is to commit to loving the people around us the way that Jesus loved us and to be the church in that way. Second thing, he said, freely you have received, so freely give. It's recognizing that what we have, the space that we have, was given to us freely. And it wasn't given to us to hoard. It was given to us that we might be like Jesus in the world, that we would be the light of the world. And then the last thing, and this is one that convicts me all the time, is he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If anybody deserved to be served by the people around him. It was Jesus. And he said, that's not what I came to do. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And then later he said, and a student's not greater than his master. And that's what it means, church, to, to really live out this calling of the common life. It's to look at the people in the community of God around us and say, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to love, I'm here to give, and I'm here to serve. Not so that I can be a better person, not so that someday I can get into heaven, but because that's what my leader did for me. These people, right, Lucian said, these people, they were so convicted by their crucified sage that they lived like him, that they followed him. They were so moved by what he had done for them that they did it for other people. That's the common life that the world needs to see. It, it transformed that world in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and it can transform Marietta if we commit to it. It doesn't matter what space you spend your time in on Sunday mornings. What matters is where we live this out seven days a week. So here are the problems. Here are the problems for making space. Last thing, I'll close. I know I'm going over. Go to the next slide. 
The first problem is there's not space in our hearts. And, and the reason there's not space in our hearts is, is because our hearts are committed to things other than Jesus. And so Peter looks at that community, and the first thing he says to that community, he said, what do you need to do? You need to repent, right? You need to repent. You need to, you need to turn from going your own way, and you need to grab hold of the conviction that Jesus wants you to live differently. I know that we look at this idea of the common life, and we're like, whatever. That is different. That is not what I thought that was, and that is not what I thought I was signing up for. And, and I think for some of us, it's just there, there's, before we can even hear the calling to be the church, it just gets snatched away. Jesus said that the word of God's like a seed, right? And sometimes it gets thrown out. It just gets snatched away because our hearts are, are, are just not in repentance. We're just not willing to turn and live a different way. And so I would say first, is, is that what's going on with you today? Is that's what's going on with me today? Is it that my heart isn't really committed to, committed to Jesus, even though my words say that I am? Do I need to make space in my heart for it to be transformed by the God who loved me first? The second thing is this. Some of us, it's not our hearts. It's, it's what I would say is our belief, right? Like we say, yes, yes, I want Jesus and my heart is committed to Jesus, but I've tried to live like this with people and all they did was hurt me. All they did was let me down. And our hearts are hard, right? And we've kind of made Christianity about just being individuals, and it's me and it's God and I'll pray and I'll praise and I'll pray and I'll do that and then I'll leave here and I'll go and I'll do my own thing. Because the last time that I was vulnerable with people, the last time I gave something to somebody, they abused it. And, and we've started to become God over those places in our hearts and it's made our hearts hard. Jesus said there's some ground that can't receive what he wants to do because the soil's too hard. And if that's you today, I would say what Peter said. Well, he said, you need to be filled with the Spirit, right? It's the, it's the filling of the Spirit that can soften your heart again. To ask God to come into those hard places, those places where you don't want to give, those places where you don't want to love, those places where you don't want to serve, those people. And then last is this. Is some of us, some of us we, we hear this and we feel the conviction and we want it and we hope for it, but we look at our lives and our lives are just too busy. And that's probably most of us, right? To commit to love people like this, to commit to give your time and your space and your resources to people, you might think, I don't have time or space or resources. And you immediately shut down on this. And Jesus had something to say about that too. He said, man, sometimes the word of God wants to get into your life and there are worries and there are cares from this world and they are choking out the word of God in your life. And I would say that if this is our calling, church, and our reason for not doing it is that we don't have space, that that space is taken up by weeds. It's not taken up by Jesus. And so for some of us, we, we just need to ask God to pull the weeds out to show us. What are my worries in financially that are real, right? You don't worry about things that aren't real. You worry about things that, that feel real. What are they? And what do you need to pull away? What are the worries and the anxieties that keep me going and keep me busy and make me put my kids in every activity just so they don't get left out and give us no space to really have common life with people and give us no space to connect? Pull them out. Ask God to give you grace to pull them out. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, we're going to pray. 
And I want to pray specifically for people that have tried to live in Christian community, but, but you've been burned and you've lost your trust. You've either lost your trust in God to be vulnerable or you've lost your trust and your hope in people. And it's keeping you from living out the calling of Jesus. Let's pray. God, Lord, I thank you for calling us to more than the world's way of living in relationship with each other. God, I pray for people that struggle with it because they've been burned. They've been burned by people. They feel like they've been burned by you. God, I pray that you would uh, soften their hearts. Yeah, that you would fill them, that you would fill them with the Spirit. And that they would be free to give, to love, and to serve like their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.